Hello and welcome to the Comedians Paradise. Thank you, thank you. A podcast where we speak to amazing, tantalizing, fascinating comedians, promoters, individuals from across the entire globe that will inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. If you like this episode, share it with your beautiful friends and say, yo, this podcast is on fire. <laughs> Give it a five-star view on Amazon and iTunes. You can also drop me an email on info at um, And you can also donate to the Patreon. But most importantly, subscribe and enjoy this tantalizing roller coaster. Now, today's guest is awesome. You're going to absolutely love her. She spent 27 years in the industry. And she is, in her own unique words, as we mentioned before, before the start of the podcast, she can still bench 500 grams. <laughs> she believes in the Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus. And clean underwear. Yes. <laughs> and she she has headlined for many of the best comedy clubs in the Bay Area. She's performed in many of the best fringe festivals across the globe. And she has handled army camps in the military, charities. Whatever you need in terms of comedy, she is your girl. And you're going to absolutely love her. Please welcome... Sandra Rissa. Yes, very good. Hi there. How are you doing, Marvin? <laughs> Too bad, Sandra. What's you all right? Well, I heard something you say something that I wasn't sure if I heard it right. Did you say 27 years in the industry? Yes, was that is that 27 years? 17. 17. My 18 year. Okay, I, I will change that. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. I was looking through the website and one of them said 27. Oh, if it did, I've got to go correct that. <laughs> My works up? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think it was on your website. It was oh. on... I think it was one of those services that you advertise as like a private comedian or something. Oh, Geek Salad or The Bat. I will check them both to make sure I didn't make a typo. I think so. <laughs> but, yes. If I, started, if I started comedy in 61 and have been doing 27 years, that makes me, I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> but... One thing that I want to ask of you, it's been an interesting start to the podcast. So, <laughs> but what, 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 please, like, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here, but like, tell us a bit about your journey to comedy and like, tell us about yourself. Well, I was always a career woman, uh, and, and I, you know, from college on, and every, well, I always wanted to be an entertainer, I think, but I knew that was not acceptable. So it really started when I did amateur competitive bodybuilding in my late 40s. And I learned I really liked being the center of attention and on the stage. 
And from there, I kind of gravitated and I took some modeling lessons, which is kind of stupid at that age. But, uh, and then I got into community theater because through the modeling and stuff, I always, they also gave some acting lessons. And I did community theater for a while. And when I turned 40, I could see that the old derriere was beginning to sag. I started going to the gym. I got a trainer. And he kept telling me that, oh, you built such good muscles. Oh, you're so vascular, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, he was a bodybuilder. And one day I said, I'll become a bodybuilder. And in 11 months, I had my first competition, came in second. Then after that, uh, as I said, I learned I like being on the stage. I got community theater. And I always kind of liked comedy. So I just started dabbling in it. And I was bad. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how to write jokes. I didn't know about open mics, nothing. But I started researching it, and eventually I went to the San Francisco Comedy College. I have a college degree, a whole bunch of them from there. Uh, and I learned the art of comedy, how to find open mics, what to do, and that kind of started me on it. And eventually, I liked the comedy so much I stopped doing theater. Oh, yeah. And so, what? What you? But you mentioned before with the bodybuilding that you you stopped doing it because of the. Is that right? I stopped doing it. Actually, uh, I was working at Bank of America at the time I started it, and with one of the mergers with the bank. I got laid off and I started my own business. And I just didn't have time to work out six days a week anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's a lot of and so you did all these different sort of performance fields and could you tell us a bit about your experiences like the modeling and all the other things and well, what you felt that comedy gave you why you went to that rather than the others okay i never really did modeling i just went to modeling school ah. like, oh there's a whole difference but they taught me acting and i did like community theater i was even on the board of one of them for a number of years uh but as i got into acting, I like not having to rely on other people to give me their lines or, you know, give me my cues yeah. so I could do my lines. I don't like doing other people's words as well as I like doing my own words. Uh, I think it's the freedom, it's the fact that I'm on stage alone and that I like to laugh. Uh, I, you know, comedy, comedy is big 
Uh, my parents both had very good senses of humor, kind of subtle. And I always had, mine was a little sarcastic, but laugh had adversity. And so it was just kind of built into me. I don't know. Yeah. When I found it, I liked it. <laughs> so two things following what you said there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what a lot of comedians who have come from acting say that they like about comedy and that your your sort of fate is in some ways dictated by yourself. Yes. Yeah. And from what you said there, so your comedy is quite sarcastic, but your parents is very sort of subtle. Has has some of it been a bit of MMA? Like you've had your own, like your 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 parents' influence and your influence, and do you think it's amalgamated into your own unique style? Well, it must have because I am neither. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm on stage or what I write for this stage is I do a lot of self-deprecating humor. I. Uh, probably part of because of my age but i talk a lot of my humor has to do with how things are different than when i was growing up uh or about one of my beginnings is sometimes i get the impression that young people today think they're the first generation to smoke weed yes and yeah and then i talk about what it was like in my generation when we started it so uh yeah it must have been fun and exciting as well because wasn't weed more illegal back then than it is now in there in america but it's still quite illegal here which i wish they'll change it because it's it's a much softer drug than others well yeah because somewhere in the i want to say 30s i used to know for sure the decade uh they class weed up there with heroin and other uh, huge drugs and so it it was really illegal and on top of that i lived in texas where you could get more jail time for having an ounce of weed then for robbery it, it, oh yeah don't look surprised <laughs> i i lived through that uh but uh just like drinking during prohibition had a way for people to get it the same became true of weed uh and it wasn't weed back then it wasn't that strong stuff that they have today it you know, when we bought weed, we bought the plant, <laughs> the sticks and the seeds and the, everything else, and we had to separate it out. Uh, it's kind of during that time, well, Alice B. Tokla stuff, that they started refining it and people really started growing and making better strains. And brownies like Pam. <laughs> they like brownies. I learned from her. Unfortunately, I don't cook with it anymore or anything. 
because I I remember making brownies and they tasted so gritty and horrible that you're supposed to saute the weed in the butter to soften it up and make it better. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I... <laughs> now, this is a bit off topic, but this is something I'm, I'm going to probably look into a bit more, but in Portugal, they've got a much more of a compared to America and the UK and other countries um, they've got more of a lax approach to drugs and what they they treat people who take drugs more like people that need help rather than felons and it seems to have much more positive in, impact in terms of the war on drugs than in here in the UK and America but oh. I think you're absolutely 100% right. Uh, where they run programs that will get them off the street, we'll have a safe house, we will in once get their Yes, I think there's, I think there's fewer homeless, there's fewer uh, people that can't work and probably less crime because they don't have to steal to get the money to buy the drugs i would be one thing i don't i don't want to make this a bloody theme of the podcast and i'll keep it short because i'm worried about where it's gonna go but um i will say one thing about it i think it would be very interesting to see if countries around the world rather than what they're doing now because a lot of it doesn't seem to be working if they did make it legal but there's a lot of stuff going in around drugs, like all sorts of fishy business, all sorts of corruption. So I don't know. Some of them are quite happy with the way things are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for years in California, the people that voted against legalizing it were the illegal growers. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, uh, Although a lot of them now have gotten their licenses. Hmm. Yeah, so, <laughs> as I said, uh, yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that one. Let's go back to yeah. comedy. I don't think I know the answer to that either, but we can try. <laughs> but it's, it's a little thing that I... I watched the podcast called Trigonometry. It's with two British comedians, and it's a very social political um, oh. podcast. And it looks at they interviewed someone on the war on drugs, and they mentioned that. But yeah, it's 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 a little thing. I'm not an expert on it, guys. People are listening. It's just something I looked into, and I thought maybe it would be an interesting thought. And I'll leave it on that because it may get I may get some funny business from it. <laughs> oh yeah, I I could talk, I could give you my opinion all over. This. <laughs> that's probably not why you want me <laughs> uh, why is this guy talking about drugs I thought this was a comedy podcast they're going to be yeah. thinking <laughs> well we're talking about drugs in a funny way <laughs> that's true yes <laughs> but, so yes all, all those things there now you mentioned a bit about starting a bit later now one of the things that I find interesting in terms of comedians that start a bit later, you obviously have tons more stories than 
than people that are starting out a bit younger. And but one thing, this may be an opinion from someone's a bit younger, but I do admire about older people is they're not people seem I like the fact that you don't care as much about other people's opinions as someone my age or younger will. And I can see the difference in terms of the way people behave. Like this there's so quite people that are younger, not everyone, and like my age, we are way too concerned about appearing nice and pleasing other people. Oh, I think that that, that is true. And I have to admit that uh, one of my newer bits is the fact that turning 70 was like pulling the spanks off my inhibitions. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I really don't care. You know, I, when a woman certainly starts being in her 40s, 50s, 60s, she doesn't want her bat wings to show. I, I was lifting weights minimum of four times a week, and I still got hanging bat wings. I don't care anymore. I'm not going to wear long sleeves just to hide my arms. I figure if somebody that weighs 300 pounds can wear a bikini, I can wear a bikini and not have, you know, young, smooth, beautiful skin anymore. I, yeah, it's, it's true. Can I ask a question? If someone, I'm guessing you have this now and again, but if someone starts getting a bit funny and they try and say stuff, do you take the piss and go further? Like if they give you, if you're in a bikini and they give you funny looks, do you, are you the type of person that goes over them and says, hello there, darling, do you want to have a look? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I'm really kind of shocked. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe, but I, and, and I'm, believe it or not, I'm also very serious. I don't want to say I'm a serious person, but I believe in rules. And, you know, if it, if they're, if it's stated you're supposed to do this, I think you should. Mm. <laughs> so, no, on something like that, one, I probably don't notice because I don't pay any that much attention to other people. And two, same as in my comedy, uh, if they say something, I likely don't hear them. Because if I'm out at the swimming pool, I'm not wearing my hearing aids. Mm. So I, I, I will hear them, but I don't really hear them. And I have the ability, even with my hearing aids in, to totally block out sound. I've always been able to. Oh, I bet you, I bet sometimes you do it deliberately as well. Just like if oh, I do? it was heckling you, you pretend, oh, so I can't hear it. And I bet sometimes if someone says something that annoys you or something, you pretend you couldn't hear it. Because my uncle, who was around 80-odd, he used to deliberately pretend he couldn't hear you in certain instances. Well, I do it by ignoring them, yes. And, and I just don't pay that much attention to it. Uh, you know, back when I was young, Younger, much younger. Now, I was working at, in a place that had little cubicles. 
And one day, somehow I noticed this girl standing by my cubicle. And so I said, hi, how are you? She said, I was wondering, every day I have walked past your cubicle and said hello to you. You have never said hello back. I was new at this office. She said, I thought you were so stuck up. And I decided I was just going to stand here until you noticed me. And she had been there like five minutes before I even noticed she was there. <laughs> <laughs> but then we became really good friends after that. <laughs> and that's 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 maybe a common thing, isn't it? As when sometimes when we have issues with people it's because we haven't taken the, the time to understand what's truly going on and putting ourselves in our shoes like people my dad always says that once we get to a certain age we try and do that but i think that that's not true i think that there's very a lot of the times most of us don't put enough time into that i think that you're probably very right i can't I disagree with you on that one uh or when somebody they've been friends with all of a sudden says something or does something that hurts your feeling and we don't stop say you know what's going on with you today hmm. you know why this thing i've been always done why today are you commenting on it and then you'll find out that their kid fell and broke their arm or something happened and oh they've got yeah issues today and also a lot of the people don't always look at the context of things so i see yeah. um sometimes i hear people say oh this person says something really horrible about me but they never took into the instance maybe they're saying it because they want to be you but i've seen some people that are really doing well in whatever field they're doing and they're saying oh this person's being horrible to me and this and that and i as i'm an outsider i can see what's oh. going on they're saying and surely if they could see it then you know you don't you don't get affected by it as much right right yeah it, 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 yes there's a lot of truth in that when i first started doing comedy i actually one year and then about three years later i got hate mail i i know <laughs> don't muck your eyes out i really did saying that uh I was, let's see, I was not funny. I had nothing good to say. I was old and I should just crawl off and die. I mean, both letters. And what scared me about them was the fact that they took the time to print these letters, find out my address, find it out where I live, which people did not know that because I lived in uh, not in San Francisco properly, but uh, and mailed them to me. So they took their time to use money. They did, you know. Um, but part of me kept saying, "There's somebody that I've either hurt the feelings of, or is jealous." Yeah, it's it's but on the flip side of that one of the things is that what what do you think is the point where you got to be like it's a lost cause i don't bother <laughs> i should give up 
Well, I will say at the time I was not that good, but they say it takes, I've heard three to five and five to 10 years to really find your voice on stage. And it took me a good seven years. Hmm. And I can still see huge differences between my 10 year performances and my um, 18 year performances. It's a thing, yeah, comedy is a thing that you're always learning in, no matter yeah. what. And when you said about it took seven years to find your voice, I see in some instances, some people have never found their voice. <laughs> that is true. That is the truth. Uh, I see people that I went to the comedy school with who are not only doing the same routine that they did 18 years ago, but are doing it just as poorly. Whoa! I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much. Others have dropped out. Others have gone on to win uh, the San Francisco comedy competition or place in it. So, you know, it's the whole gamut. And I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so You've made a very interesting point, and there are quite a few questions I would ask from it. <laughs> now, what do you think is thing is a comedian can do to self-check themselves to make sure that they're actually getting better, and make because sure, one thing oh. I noticed in the <laughs> pandemic, a lot of people have worried about them getting crap at comedy because they're not gigging enough, which isn't true. But some of it will still be there, but it'll be a bit rusty. And yeah, how, how do you avoid getting in a wind of gliss, not seeing if you're getting better or not? I used to, and now I do it some when I'm doing something new. I uh, voice recorded every single thing I did whether it was an open mic or a live show. And I learned how to self-criticize my own performances. I learned that with the help of Tommy College friends, uh, getting, uh, there's a man here, Jerry Corley, getting his newsletter who gave, gives comedy hits, hints how to write. And I would listen to myself. I would listen to how I said it. You know, I was too slow. I was too fast. I didn't pause here. I uh, step, I, you know, and the same how to edit and re-edit and re-edit my material until it got better. It may be the same joke, but it's not the same joke anymore. Mm. And, and I think that's what people have to learn to do. And they may need help on doing it. Hey, I'm kind of mentoring a young man right now. And I'm now at the point I'm saying, this is what I see wrong. Now you see what you can do to fix it. Well, one of the things um, Joe Rogan said in his podcast, I mean, I don't mind his podcast. It's not my favorite because it goes on for too long. 
don't I hope Joe Rogan's not listening, but he won't. <laughs> but if I like listen to certain episodes of his when he get, has a certain guest on. But for my part, I think they go on a bit too long. I prefer like Mark Maron, Barry Katz, the Comedians Comedians sort of podcast. But one of the things he pointed on was people hear phantom laughs. And would you say perhaps the only way to um, get round, we all have that. We often, they say that, no, that we think we do better than we did when we did well, and we yeah. do better than we did when we bombed. And possibly the only way to do that is to get a group of people that you, you can trust the opinion of to look at it as well as yourself. And there's the feedback. I think that's... I Yes, yes. Uh, and there are writing groups and performance groups. But the other thing, when I first started, there was one young comedian that anytime he got on stage, and I call it breaking open the room, the whole audience would laugh all at once through most of his set or at his punchlines. And that was my goal. Hmm. I wanted them all to laugh. And I have finally, most of the time, reached that goal. But it, it takes a long time. And yes, I had some nice sets. I had a good one joke that might get that kind of laugh. But then I have several that didn't. And to be able to put a whole set together like that, uh, that's why I think when I say that I can see the big difference between 10 years ago and now, or five years ago and now. And another thing is some of the major comedy competitions. I'm now doing uh, one of them, some of the shows in the World Series of Comedy, and I've done it before. But they now, you can ask for feedback on your set. Uh. And it has jumped my five, seven minute, my 10 minute set, even above where it was two years ago. It, it's getting the opinion of um, a club booker or some of the, one that's been in the industry for years and years to tell you, hey, just tweak this, you know, and it helps. Yeah, it's, and you need that, you need that. Yeah. One thing that I found sometimes a bit of a, I went to a clowning school in Philip Gurley. I'll send you some links and I'll discuss it, but it's a, it's a theater school where lots of people across the world go to and effectively they get, he helps you get rid of your inhibitions and he insults you so badly of a lot of racist things that you don't care. Anymore. <laughs> but every name under the sun. But one of the things I've found sometimes when working with people is that people are very sensitive to criticism. And that that's that thing scares the shit out of me. Like <laughs> I, I admire him for doing it because like 
he'd also he would do this thing where someone does bad in the performance he'll say would you rather be dead than watch this and you're supposed to say yes or you're supposed to say this or you're supposed to say that if they do badly to me because i sometimes when i've been polite and given nice feedback to people they completely blew their top off of me when he asked me i said nothing it's a bit like you deal with that i let let I, I'm, I don't want to get involved with people's issues if I say anything. You know, Gordon Ramsay and you can deal with that. Let them find it out on their own. <laughs> well, there, there are some you do. A lot of times, when especially at an open mic, uh, or something I know is very new, and I see something that I know is holding them back, I will go up to them and I'll say, do you mind if I give you a little advice or you know something of the sort and 90 percent maybe 99 percent say yes uh you know go ahead and do it and it'll be like uh put the mic stand behind you i i don't comment on the material they're doing unless they ask me but i will comment um, or ask them if I can on their stage presence. You know, quit playing with the mic stand. It makes you look nervous. Hmm. So I'll, I'll do things. As I said, most people are happy for it. Once in a while, I'll have somebody say, I'll say, fine. <laughs> you know, no problem. Yeah. What's what's been a, Have you had anyone completely blue their top of you when you've been like polite with your feedback? Because everyone go like, "Yo, Sandra, you can't say that to me." No, because I, I my feedback is always very but benign. But that's why I wouldn't comment and say, "Oh, wait, I take that." I have said things on performances too, but it's more like you have a habit of saying whatever the word is a filler word like this is like this like this like this uh you know what i'm talking about yep you've heard that before. you know what i'm talking about and i said what i say is you you've said this a lot in it tape yourself and watch it and most of you i will see later will say mm. I didn't realize I said that all the time. It's one thing that I've thought of when talking about different things is if I say, um, if I say, what would you think if this happened? So, well, like, so they can see what they're doing or something. One thing oh. I thought of when you say, what would you think if you saw this or if you did that? That's a good idea. That's something I that came into my head. Yeah. in terms of when i'm talking about something or if someone's maybe doing something that i'm not too happy with but yeah. some one of the things as well that i figured out <clears throat> when i speak to a lot of my business heroes or see a lot of their stuff they say you've got to control the fucks you give but then when i see in like the comedian stuff you've got to be nice you've got to do this and that and I try and be balanced and nice, but in some instances, I just feel you got to just tell some people to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, true. I I think I am lucky because uh, because of my age, I get 
very few people, Hitlers. I, I, I can't even think of five times that I have been badly heckled. I will get a comment or a woo or you know something on what I said, but I have never really been heckled. It's the same with, I've never been sexually harassed from a fellow comedian. I'm too old. Uh, so, you know, my experience is not the average experience. Well, one of the things I listened to another podcast in regards, and I won't go into too detail because I'm a male comedian and I don't know what it's like on the other side. Um, but one female comic says when male comedians defend another comedian, they say, um, well, I've never seen him like that. He can't possibly be like that. And they say, because you're, he's not sexually interested in you, so you don't see that side of them. And I'm guessing as you're, you don't have to deal with certain things, you spot things, don't you? You get to see a lot of what goes on and you can see it from the outside rather than be. I really don't pay much attention. Oh. I will admit it, I really don't. You know, the only time anything like that was actually an audience member was uh, at the bar after the show. And this guy started talking to me and he said something about uh, wanting to, to go out with me or something. I, and I just looked at him, I said, my God, how old are you? I'm old enough to be your grandmother. And he says, yeah, but I would like to lick you all over. <laughs> and I did exactly what you did. I laughed so hard. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not going to slap him or offend it. It was, it just struck me as so funny <laughs> because I, yeah. And anyway, that, that's my whole time I have ever been anything since I've been in comedy. <laughs> I'm, yeah, and I'm guessing that's what a lot of um, feet, feet... <laughs> Well, if it's a female comic in their 20s or 30s and a man says that, they'll run a mile away. <laughs> yes. That, and it would be different if I were younger. Yeah. I don't want Yeah. Then it would be scary. Almost. I, I would certainly find a big male comedian to walk me to my car. But in my case, yeah, it, it was just funny. And, yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah it's what well, that's the one thing that i've always found interesting about comedy is that people complain about things but they don't often do much about it like you see people that in forums they post about it but they don't do anything about it and like people complain about one comedian who's now on tv in the uk and he stole a bit of someone else and because he's got a big agent, the other guy was shut down, and this guy is now going on other comedians' podcasts. People were chatting to him on this and that. People were booking him, but they're not. It's a bit like, um, like Harrison Ford says in the Star Wars film, in the New Hope, where Luke says, "You've got to save her because they're going to kill her." He says, "Better her than me, kid." And I yeah. think that's what that's what it is in comedy most of the time. Yeah. 
we're very um, better them than me. Yeah. Well, we have the saying that uh, if somebody does one of your jokes on television, it's then there it becomes their joke. And, uh, and I know somebody that that happened to that said they did. I did not know them at the time. That said they wrote to that person and said, if you like my jokes that much. Anyway, eventually they wrote them more jokes for that person and got into writing for comedy for other comedians. Ah. Career so yeah, that's my that might be a more positive way of turning a negative into a positive. Yeah. Most comedians would would um would yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he said, you know, I wrote to him and I said, you know, that that was mine. But if you like it that much, and he had written several, here are a couple of more jokes. If you, These are for free. If you want more, you'll have to pay me. Hmm. One thing I want to ask you about, because this is something that I've encountered, is that I've had someone try and be a style thief where which is a bit where they tried copying my persona and other things which it was a bit i don't know when when i i make sure that i don't gig with them that that's the main thing but yeah. I, I feel well that's that's a form of sort of narcissistic abuse as well because it's a bit like they don't have a sense of self but this person yeah. also copies a lot of other comedians like he does that thing where there's some comedians in the uk who copy 50 year old comics in america who use that saying you know what i mean and it's already sort of a scent this person has a complete lack of self and the thing with this situation is what do you make of that in terms of style thief and joke thief i don't well joke thief i, th I think it's a horrible i've never thought or heard of a style thief uh so you're kind of uh, catching me off guard then. I suppose I would talk to them the same way. I think talking to them is probably the best way uh, to start out. And, you know, to say, do you realize you're doing this? How long have they been a comedian? They've been doing it for around four years, I think. That's why. But they are trying the different personas. And you see, you could even start out with being very nice. Flattery or uh, topping is the highest form of flattery. It is, yeah. But, you know, and then talk to them about trying to find their own voice on stage. Yes, that's a smarter way to do it. But I normally do it where I don't bother, and I'm like, I, I just get. Well, a lot of the times, I, I, I'd much rather just focus on what I'm doing. While yeah. I, I see that as a distraction, trying to handle that person. Oh, yeah. So, so I, I just, it's a bit cold, but I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I just get rid of them a lot of the times, and I just try and focus on what I'm doing because I feel. I do try and be like that, but I feel that it would distract me. <laughs> well, if they're on your show, oh, 
interesting. I just got my internet connection is unstable. Uh, well, I you know sometimes it cuts in and out here. Never huh. know why. Um, what is good? Oh, copying out people. Yeah, again, it's something that I don't run into. Uh, although there are more older comics now than there were when I started. Yeah. Um, we all tend to be different, I think, because we are bringing our lives into it much more than younger comics. Yeah. Yeah. But it was an interesting, I'm going to, what's it called? I think you put a lot of interesting points there. And I think it was an interesting, yeah, that was an interesting way of looking at Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you're basically saying that I should be like their therapist and say to them, right, you need, you see when you're doing this and that, well, maybe <laughs> you should try. But I, I'm, I'm very cold, man. I don't, I don't know. I just find it too distracting to try. Well, no, then you shouldn't deal with it. I, I, just ignore them. The thing, the thing with one thing I found, if, if with type of characters who've tried to imitate me of different things, I've always found them to cause me a lot of trouble and being oh. quite nasty. So from my experience, I decided that it's better just to. Are people going to say all sorts of those types will say a lot of bad things about you? Yeah, that's not important. What's important for me is to get on with my work and get on and do it to the best of my ability. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But then I don't get booked. <laughs> oh, but it's, 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 you can't, it, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing to talk about. But let's, let's change the segue. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll think of it. I will talk the most flattering, the best things that can happen to me after a show, besides people laughing during it, is, I, okay, I have essential tremors, which means my hands shake. It's not Parkinson's, it's, you know, so when I hold the mic, it's often wobbling. And I do mention them. It's the number of people that come up to me after the show and tell me I'm an inspiration, that they want to, that they have the tremors and they want to talk about it. They know somebody that has them. They're a young person that wants to bring their parents to see me perform. Or I've had young people tell me, uh, you're an inspiration. I know that I don't have to fear getting older. Uh, that to me is probably the best thing that ever happens Whoa. to me. That's, and that is, that is what's it called Joanne Rivers said with comedy, she's, someone was heckling her. Have you seen this clip? Well, I don't think so, which people She wouldn't. said something about, yeah, the thing with comedy is it's the tell the truth and to help us go through pain so that we can relax about it and see that it's not as bad as we, not as bad, but it's help helps us go through these things. Because yeah. when you talk about them. Yeah, well, you know, I've, as I said, starting comedy was difficult. I had a loving family. I wasn't poor. I'm not biracial. You know, I have everything against me. <laughs> 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 Childhood. Uh, 
But uh, I do have the tremors. I do have a hearing loss now. So yeah, I, th I think it is fun. Uh -huh. <laughs> it, it's so i mean that is it's the best feeling in the world isn't it when when we that, that's what keeps us going that feeling that buzz we get from making people laugh but yeah. when you get that moment of acknowledgement where you feel like you've had an impact someone else's life yes. could you tell us a bit about that feeling well as i said it's not the same as the laughter but it is it's as good or better. Well, the laughter I think is like my drug of choice. <laughs> uh, I could I can mainline laughter, uh, but to know that yes, that I have touched somebody as a human being, it it is it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, I I'm very happy after the show to feel that. Um, I. One of my things is I'm not old, I'm used. And then I have different stuff I add on. But I have shot glasses that say that. And when people either buy them or say, oh, I have got to give this to my father or whatever, that, yeah, it's like, hey, you're going to remember me. Not because you bought from me, but because I touched your life. Mm. Yeah. And then you give the business card. <laughs> well, then I haven't signed up for my newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's the, that's the perfect spiel, isn't it? You have a chat with them. <laughs> but, but it is. It, it's, it's, I, I can't really explain the feeling it gives. It is definitely different than the laughter feeling. Mm. Uh, but it does make me very happy. Yeah. So going in from what what's been a what what's what's been a flip side of that where you've so you've spoken a bit before about you've had some funny reactions and you've had this and that. But what's been a response where someone's made you laugh? You mentioned that lick thing that was quite funny but i mean like what's what's been uh when you've told a joke in a story but what's been the funniest reaction you see oh i have one rule of three uh that i'm talking about and it also it, it's the end of the it's my generation that made uh that you need to thank my generation because it's my generation that made weed acceptable to the masses. And people go, yay! And it's my generation that gave you free love. Yay! And it's my generation that gave you herpes. And somebody who invariably is into the yay, go, yay! <laughs> You're clapping for herpes, you know? <laughs> and I always enjoy that one. And especially if the, I didn't get a big reaction on the first two. And then I do the herpes, and I hear somebody go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, after the show, I, as I said, that's really my only real uh, 
thing where somebody said something so un outrageous to me that I cracked up. Uh, I love watching com comedians that make me laugh. Uh, that's yeah. You're going to ask me who? I don't. Uh, Joan Rivers. <laughs> She's amazing. Her, her, such a so unique and strong. Well, recently somebody sent around a clip of her and Johnny Carson, and towards the end of it, they got into they were talking about some female, you know, and Joan Rivers is saying. Oh, she's got a great body and good looking. And Johnny Carson says, yes, but isn't it really true? And I'm paraphrasing that men like a woman for her mind. And Joe Rivers said, I've never known a, a man just stick his hand up a lady's skirt and say, where's her library card? <laughs> uh, yes, that cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, her 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 ballsiness is what I really like about her. I, I really like that there's nothing more that I love. Then anyone in their art form or whatever they're doing has the balls to be different and does not give a fuck and just does their own thing and like a simply straight if you don't like it you can fuck off people who are like that i absolutely love and she's like that yeah she really is yeah um she was wonderful oh i really don't am not as familiar with today's female comedians I don't like a female comedian that's, well, I don't like any comedian that's too dirty. So, that's, yeah. I don't like gratuitous sex acts or descriptions of bodily functions. I think it's patronizing that they do that where they, where TV shows, well, this has made me sound bitter. But it, it doesn't sound right. But I'm saying that I don't like it when people do diversity just for the sake of diversity. Yeah. I think it's patronizing to people of that race or of that thing when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I, and I learned, thank goodness, early. There are things that younger female comedians can say or talk about that I can't. Uh, nobody wants to hear about their grandmother or great-grandmother having sex. Hmm. I can talk about it in the past, but not in the present. And hmm. that's just how it is. And that's like, there are things that Mixed race people can talk about that I can't. Hmm. I'm Jewish, so there's things that I can talk about that Christians can't, and vice versa, because you step on toes. Hmm. 
Yes, and did, I think for people, when you, when you claim to know something about something that you're not fully knowledgeable, people who are would yeah. be taken quite aback by it. So if I speak to someone about American football when I know next to nothing about it, and <laughs> if I wanted to get beaten up in America, I reckon if I started talking about the Yan well, the Yankees are a baseball team, aren't they? So. <laughs> <laughs> That's how little I know. But if I if I said to someone who's a big, oh <laughs> uh, well, okay, it would be like me trying to talk about cricket. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a total impossibility because I my nephews were raised in England. They tried to explain the game to me. No, I can't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I tell you what, it would be a great sketch there, wouldn't it, Sandra, to have someone do that to someone, to see that, that look of anger on that person's face. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Absolutely. I'm betting, I'm betting my cat. <laughs> oh, hello, cat. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I want to ask you about, what have you say... What have you so I, I looked in the bio and I saw that you've done quite a few comedy festivals. Yeah. Would you be able to tell us a bit about your experiences them and how they work? Because I see that you've done some in America and you've done some in the UK. Is that right? Well, I've done the granddaddy of fringe festivals in the UK, the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, the Edinburgh Free. Fringe Festival, and you try saying that fast, <laughs> but if, if I was, I wish I had been a more experienced comedian when I did it. I'd only been doing comedy a couple, three years, and the plans were originally to go over with another woman because I really did not have an hour's worth of material or 45 minutes, which the shows run. And we made 90% of the plans to go. And then she had the unmitigated gall to have her aorta burst and ended up in the hospital. So we paid the entrance I paid the Delphine Hotel, the whole thing. So I went over by myself to do the show. And uh, I had a great time with some fab people and just be and being able to see all the shows was absolutely unbelievably fantastic. Uh, in fact, I went back a second year and I brought both the comedy show, I was a little better then, still not great. Uh, I did a comedy show and I had written a short one act play, a, more of a drama that I did. So I did two shows in it and I didn't have as much time to see others, but I had plenty of time when all the shows were done every night to go to the pubs and drink and socialize. <laughs> <laughs> rolling into my room, I was there with a woman who was even older than me. Uh, and we would often 
meet walking back to our, uh, where we were staying at two o'clock in the morning as the pubs are closing <laughs> it was a it was just wonderful <laughs> uh, but i the festivals in the united states the fringe festivals they just don't have quite the same camaraderie uh, i'm not sure what to say I never got quite the same feeling out of them. Oh. Yeah. That that that's all I can say. They were good. Uh, you know, think we had people come to the shows, we had all of that. But I didn't feel I got to know the other comedians as well. Or uh maybe it's because there aren't pubs every up, you know, Edinburgh is just such a wonderful area to walk around. And I've got to say, in the area we were in, I would walk from the where the festival itself was back to where I was staying, which was like a five, 10 minute walk at two o'clock in the morning and not worry about it, that I shouldn't be on the street alone. Well, now, you'll probably worry about being homeless because of the price of the bloody fringe. I mean, it's probably going to go go down because of the pandemic, but I meant like it's, it's, that's maybe one good thing about the pandemic. It may make Edinburgh renting cheaper. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Now I probably won't go back because I don't think I have the energy to run around the whole area putting up posters and stuff anymore. But, no, it, yeah it's, it's no it's a great thing though with with the edinburgh yeah it's, it's it's amazing the energy is what i like about it and the camaraderie um but yeah it, it's it's incredible the thing that's so but, fantastic comedians from all over the world yeah that that are entertainers yeah but mainly comedians in my case oh. One of the things that was quite ridiculous was I was in one of the cafes in Edinburgh and I was trying to write my set and prepare my set before I did the show. And then some guy who was a big comedy producer in New Zealand came and sat next to me at the family. And they asked, they, I didn't notice that they came and asked if they could sit next to me. And I said, yeah. And then he noticed that I was a comedian writing it down. And he said, you're a comedian, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And they said, oh, here's the card. This could be of interest. And then. Oh, my. And then when I went to get my coffee paid, they paid for it for me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's very nice of them. Yes. <laughs> but, but these are the kind of things that happened to Edinburgh. And I think, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I regret when I went there a couple of years ago is not, I just did it to know what it was like to do an hour show, but I didn't take it properly as seriously maybe as I could have done because you don't know who you're meeting and you don't know who it could what it could lead to it really well, is but yeah i think for sure when you're doing an hour show for 28 days non-stop with audiences and you get all these spots you can do it's it's really is amazing uh it, it really is and then what I, again because i was doing the free festival but i love to I learned how to beg for money at the end of the show. <laughs> if you enjoyed this show, 
you would have had to pay blah, 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 bounds and blah, blah. So on your way out. <laughs> and then I'd end up with all these heavy coins having to make my way to the bank the next day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, I, mean, I think there's very few that I've seen make a profit from it, but there is the, the people that I think might make a profit from it are the magicians that do the free fringe because when they oh, do the it, they get hats about that. this big and it's completely filled with notes. Yeah, and they, fun. I mean, if you're doing the paid shows, I doubt it because I hear it's like £10,000 to put on a show. Um, the big yeah, I don't think that, I don't know how those people do it. It's yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, they have to have sponsors. Yeah, a lot of them are sponsored by big agencies propping them up, and it's. But I've heard in so so in some instances, someone with the underbelly, a friend of mine, Gabby Killick, she actually made a profit from it. She charged wow. like six pound per show, and wow. she she made a good, and she did all the advertising herself. She you see her carrying a big banner. And she did quite well of it, but it's, I mean, you, it's got, you got to be smart. You don't go to the fringe to make money. <laughs> no, I, I was very happy if, if I covered my entry fee Yeah. for the whole thing, I knew there was no way I'm going to cover my hotel and my yeah, plane tickets. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> But you'll pay for it in laughs and jokes of a deal. <laughs> Yay! It did make me grow as a comedian. I forcing myself to do that. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think that like the Edinburgh Fringe gives you in terms of all the spots and all the shows that New York or LA do don't when you have all those spots you can do in a day? Repeat that? So in New York you could probably gig just as many times as you could in Edinburgh, but most of the shows are probably all open mic. Right, right. And you don't get to do an hour at a time. No. <laughs> or no. I mean, as I said, I probably, probably doing it five years and my hours of material was not the same hour <laughs> of good material that I would have today. Uh, so I had this thing where I would let the audience ask questions and fill it in with funny answers and stuff. Uh, but it forced me to up my comedy game. Uh, so when I got my first real feature spot and for 30 minutes, I was ready for it. Hmm. And that's, I heard from another podcast of Maria Shihata and Barry Ferns that in the UK, we can maybe go up for an hour after three or four years. But in America, a lot of comics will, will maybe do go up and do an hour, 45 minutes, and it'll be maybe eight, 10 years before they get to that. Yeah. Level. Oh, in three or four years. Wow. <laughs> Now, I also learned that different countries, the humor is so different. I don't know 
you know, what the comedy in England is now. So, <laughs> so the bit was, um, I have no, no idea at what point it froze. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you said something we were talking about, yes, how it would take eight, 10 years, maybe to get 45 minutes in America. And you said you don't know. I mean, oh, I said something. Comedy styles, yeah. Uh, is the comedy style, what is it now in England? Is it storytelling? Or is it shorter stories with more setups and punches in them? Oh, no, I'd say probably more storytelling when they're doing it now on a show. Yeah. When they're doing the show, but I'd say in terms of straight stand up in the UK, I'd say it's what you said, the second option. But when they try and do an Edinburgh hour, they deliberately make it like a story. Okay. Um, I think that even we're, we're leaning more towards storytelling, which I don't do much of. Uh, but back then, it was even for long bits, more shorter things. Um, so I did see these different styles, which was very interesting. And uh, I learned that Germans have a real sense of humor. I met a couple oh. of fabulous German comedians. Oh. Uh, yeah. And they were more set up punch type. Ooh, and, and may I ask who? <laughs> uh <laughs> i'm so bad at names i would have to look over my list um uh, of people that i know um uh, on facebook especially but uh yeah uh, but that that's what was fun of it and um, you know i met uh comedians in australia so when i went to australia I made contact with them if I was complete in their city. Uh, it was great. We're living. Hmm. What, what have you, how would you compare that to, um, so you also did the Brighton Fringe as well, and you did the Sacramento Fringe? Uh, no, uh, Sacramento Fringe was just getting started. It was not a true fringe festival, even though they said it fringe. Okay. Uh, but Brighton is just kind of, well, didn't you do it before Edinburgh? It's, it's just kind of a small Edinburgh, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not as big, you know, there aren't as many shows. Um, but you still kind of hung out with the comedians afterwards in one of the pubs or things, but not as much as it, it still didn't have the same socializing that uh, Edinburgh had. And what about, um, yeah, then you, I was definitely a bit thrown off by the, the Zoom recording, it's getting stunned like that, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, with the, so you said that the comedy style is different and what did you because you i looked in your bio and you said that it's 
you've done the um the Vogue Festival, the Santa Cruz Festival, oh. and the Shedot Comedy Festival. How do they compare? Well, first, none of them are as big as Edinburgh. No. <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll put that aside. The Shedot was in Toronto, Toronto, Canada, and it was the first year of the festival that I did it. Uh, it was very well run in one large performance area. There were like three different venues within the building. So we were all together. And I'm going to say there was a lot of camaraderie because six of us shared a B&B, six of us, uh, several of us were from California, one our uh, San Francisco area, one from LA, somebody from New York, and we had a ball together. We didn't care about anything else. <laughs> we we just had our own little party going most of the time. <laughs> mm. uh, we called ourselves the Sweet Six. <laughs> we even got together the next year to just do a comedy show together on the East Coast. Uh, but that festival only lasted about four or five years. Oh. Uh, she got, not that she got, I'm going to, excuse me. <laughs> the Rogue Festival uh, is not a French festival, it's a festival of its own. It's been going on for quite a while. And they have venues throughout. Uh, I don't know this area of uh, Fresno, hmm. and it it's well attended, and there's some really good shows in it. But again, to me at least, it didn't have the same camaraderie uh, as many things ways to get to know the other comedians. Hmm. Uh, but I had a good time at it. Uh, I did. Uh, it, I'm trying to think. I want. I want to say it's almost a full conscious comedy. There were some skits. But I think it was mainly comedy, but it was it was well run too. It still is. Uh, it's hard to get into. Uh, I, it's just no comparison. They're just different. Hmm. It's is. Do you did you do an hour as well, or like forty five minutes, or That's was it? Thing. Yeah. Okay. I then I had it <laughs> because I did it later. Uh, I did it with. My shows called Mr. X Reload and Fire Again. And this, the next year I did it, I did Mr. X Reload and Fire Again too. And it was all about X's and things that people have done and who's been, you know, I, I, I wrote a whole big thing for it. A lot of it I don't do in my stand up. Uh, it, it was written specifically for the festival. 
Oh, okay, that's an interesting point. I noticed that a lot of yeah, it's it's people assume from outside that when you do a show and that when you do the your regular comedy set that it's quite easy to translate between the two and add bits in, but it's not. No. Um although I do do our comedy sets for uh, senior centers and other private shows. But in fact, just recently, somebody, they wanted an hour and a half show. I said, you don't want one comedian for an hour and a half. Uh, you know, unless it's a big famous, you know, somebody like Robin Williams or John Cleese, you don't want one comedian for an hour and a half. Most people just, yeah, most audiences don't. So I sometimes have to talk to people about that. It is a funny thing. I mean, I watched, I hope Bill Burr's not listening to this, or, or Jerry Seinfeld, but I've watched both of them, and like they were going on for about two hours or something, yeah. and I got really tired. Uh, yeah. And I sort of fell asleep in both of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but that, that, that's the point I try to make, yeah. Uh, and unless you have somebody that is doing more than just kind of telling jokes, uh, I'm not, I have a feeling before he was uh, convicted, that uh, Bill Cosby, because I had his records, I could listen to because his stories, each one was different and so cool. And he was such a good storyteller. And that's why I mentioned Robin Williams. He's not just a stand-up comedian. He's a comic actor with a one-man show himself. Ah. And that I could maybe do. But most people don't even want to sit for two hours. Yes, I spoke to a comedian called John Godilla, and he's a comedy show director. And he says, with each show, no matter what your tools are, there needs to be twists and turns to yeah. keep people engaged throughout that period yeah. of time. Yeah. yeah. And Robin Williams did it, Jerry Seinfeld does it. He's just very. Yes, Seinfeld funny, is very. Like so one of the things that i want to look at now and this is it's been thank you for coming on the podcast and i apologize for the mishap <laughs> but oh, funny. I, I think i should definitely include it in and see what people say but what um what would you say so with with you being in the industry for quite a while, what how has the industry changed? And what have you noticed with comedians that do well and comedians that are not say um that that are not progressing as they would like? So those two those are the two questions I'll have to ask you. Well, how I've seen it change is there seems to be more. Uh because there were the days 
not I can talk about San Francisco. I don't know if they were, or, and uh, they took about uh, the Purple Onion and they had all these venues. And then comedy kind of, a lot of the places started closing. Comedy kind of got out of favor. And it was just making a comeback as I started. And now it seems to be exploding every place. And I think comedy again, and there's more opportunities for comedians, there's more places. And with television, and it may be the advent of television that has gotten more people of Comedy Central that people want to see more live stuff. And I think that that's good. I'm seeing more, I hate to call us this, there's more of us, over 50 people getting into comedy that it they either did it when they were young, then started raising their families and coming back, or they're getting into it for the first time. They've always wanted to do it. And now that they're retired, they can. So I think there's a, there's something for everyone now. For those who really want to be known and to make it big and not just earn a living in it, but you know, get nationally known. I think they still have to go to LA, New York. I don't know about Chicago, but they need to go someplace or some of the ones that have not moved to LA or New York, but they still have agents in LA and they will hop down to LA on a notice uh, for work. And they have to be free to do that. Hmm. Uh, another route, I know some people, uh, one comedian specifically, that he, he was pretty much an opener at the time, got a good feature, a good headline, nobody really knowing, and started booking themselves around the United States. And he did the booking. He would call these small towns and find places that had, that uh, if not a stage, that they could hook up their mics. And he was traveling probably nine months of the year, broken in, into twos, and now has had a Netflix special and they're working on their second one. So it's like anything else, you've got to put in the work and be, pre be prepared to starve for a while if you're really going to make it. You have to get on Netflix or television. Uh, you could earn a good living as a touring comedian, but not touring just the clubs. You've got to make your own shows. Uh, those who don't make it or kind of get stagnant, I'm either they're not willing to put in the effort to, to jump to the next level they don't know how, or they may just be caught up too much in life right now 
trying to feed a family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is very straight down the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, uh, when I hear people like Harvey's, uh, Steve Harvey's story, he lived in his car, he showered or washed up a gas, or, you know, you got to be willing to do that. So, answer his eight years of age. I'm not going to. <laughs> I mean, I often say I enjoy comedy. I've reached the point that I'm good. I'm not maybe great, but I'm good. And I can hold my own in just about any show. But I'm glad I don't have to earn a living at it. Hmm. I think that would take, for me, a lot of the fun out of it. <laughs> yes, I mean, definitely. If you're running, if you're chasing after someone for $70 for not paying yeah. you, you have to pay your rent. Yeah, uh, you know, it makes a whole big difference. Hmm. Does that also help on stage as well? Pardon? Does that also help when you're performing? Because you don't have the added pressure to an extent. That I wouldn't know because I've never been at the other end of it. Although if I think of it like a $1,000 or $10,000 comedy competition, uh, it may be the same thing. And yes, I put pressure on myself that I don't do it in a regular show. Does it... Does could sometimes when comedians put too much pressure on themselves have a massive effect on how they do oh that's yes. what i was getting at that's what i was trying to say yes oh i definitely think so because as i said i can feel it in myself i have to keep telling myself when i'm in competitions and i've been doing a lot this summer get up there and just have fun this is no different you know i i give myself a cup dog this is no different than just doing a show. The, you know, do it the same way. Because, yeah, if I start thinking about, I've got to win this. Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do. You get tight. You're not loose. You're not having fun. And the audience can sense when you're having fun, they're having fun. Mm. Yeah, they seem to be psychic with the audience. Every time I sometimes get too confident on stage or get too cocky, they pick it up, you know, I yeah. try and hide it, do this, and then boom, I have <laughs> the worst gig I've ever had. Isn't that true? And we all bomb sometimes. We have to be prepared to, you know, yeah. we just have to hope it doesn't happen a major time. And sometimes try what you may. You may not connect with an audience for some reason. And then, yes, as you said, it's time to look at yourself and say, what did I do different? Yeah, but obviously, if it's not, don't be too ridiculous. So if you bomb on stage, don't think, right, show everything and they'll laugh. Because <laughs> that would be quite, I'm pretty sure that's probably happened. I'm not, you know, you know, comedy is a crazy game. There's all sorts of weirdness. Yeah. And if, and I, Last time I bombed, I wasn't good enough to do it. Well, also I was in a competition, so I couldn't. But 
but let's say that you're a feature and you find you're not connected. If a good comedian can then get out of those laughing dogs, I'm really having a struggle today. Can you help? And talking to the audience and bring them back in and then eventually go back to their material. Hmm. Uh, but you can't do that in a five minute set. No, you definitely no. can't. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Now, what has been, what, one more, two more questions. What has comedy given you in life? And uh, how do people get into contact with you? Oh, comedy has given me a reason to get out of bed every day. It's also <laughs> given me. But more than that, it's given me a reason to stay up late, which I love, uh, and not sit around the house watching television. It's kept me young. I'm always around young people. It's fun. It, it gives me energy. Uh, I really think that because of comedy, I'm going to reach my goal of being in the Senior Olympics when I'm 120. Oh, maybe. That would be, be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what I think. I it, and you can come see me do the stand up, sit down, and the walker race. <laughs> besides that, but it, it is, it's fun. It's just giving me outlet for everything. I don't know what I would be doing in retirement if I weren't doing that. Hmm. Maybe I'd never retire. I don't know. Uh, and where they can reach me, my website is Sandra Risser, S-A-N-D-R-A-R-I-S-S-E-R.com. And through that, uh, it has my email contact information. They can find me on YouTube. Um, I think I'm S.M. Risser there. It's kind of like sadomasochistic, but same last name. And they can find me on Facebook, Sandra Risser. Again, S-A-N-D-R-A-R-I-S-S-E-R. -S okay. Well, guys, make sure I'll put all the everything in the descriptions. Make sure you follow her and get in contact with her and make sure you pay her ten thousand pounds for every gig <laughs> if only we got paid that for every gig <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful <laughs> um also guys if you want to get in contact with me just drop me on an email on info instant-laughs.com I'm also on Reason, which is a podcast a listing site where you can share your opinions on a podcast, give your your give me some feedback. Also, make sure you leave a review if you found great value. Share it with your friends and subscribe. And I'll see you guys at the next episode. Take care, Sandra. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>